You may be seated. I, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what week this is in Dead Man Walking. We're, we're like five or six weeks in. If you've missed any of these messages, you can go on YouTube um, or podcast or fa- Facebook or I, I don't even know what they invented this week, but I'm sure we've got something out there. We will wrap up this series next week, uh, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be phenomenal. Can't wait. And the week after, we're going to start a four-week series called Game of Thrones, um, and it's going to be, and I asked last week who watched it. I won't make you raise your hand and admit that again. I'm watching it right now. Um, preacher shouldn't watch that. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And then, um, and then we'll start a brand new series in the middle of August called I Love My Church. And uh, in that series, we're going to be adding a 6 p.m. service uh, because, uh, like, this is a holiday weekend. And so, yeah, yeah, super excited. Super excited about that. So I'm going to start out today a little different, and if this is your first time, you're going to have to excuse me. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this illustration. Have you ever walked into a bathroom, and the person before you had absolutely just blown it up? I mean, it was, it was obvious that something had crawled out of them and, and died. And, and when you walked in, your first reaction was like you almost forgot. But that, that wasn't so bad because we're human. We, we deal with that. It happens, right? It happens. The problem was that somewhere in the bathroom, there was like a can of cinnamon glade. You know what I'm talking about? The glade air freshener. And they thought in their mind that if I just spray the Glade, it'll make the smell of it go away. But just a real quick question, did it work, yes or no? No, no. You walk in and you go, oh, wow, smells like somebody crapped a cinnamon stick. I don't, I don't know. That's amazing. It, it doesn't help with the smell, but we've all been there. We're, like, we're desperate in that moment. We just kind of spray stuff now. I know what you're thinking. I know you think, Perry, what in the world does this have to do with God, Jesus, religion, dead man walking? Well, I'm so glad you asked because here's reality. All of us, all of us, every single pe- person in this room and watching online, we have that in our lives. <laughs> it's like my favorite emoji to send to people, by the way. Now, for most of us, it's not smiling. Um, some of us, that um, is bigger than, uh, you have a bigger pile than the other pile, but every single person that I know on the planet that's willing to be honest would admit that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we all have, that, we all have this in our lives. Now, some of us, it's out in the open. Some of us, it's like locked away and we don't talk about it. But the problem is, the problem is not that we have this in our lives. The problem is, I think in church world, for the most part, over the past 20 to 30 years, the issue has been covering this up rather than dealing with it and getting it out of our lives. And because we've tried to cover it up, what we've tried to cover it up with is this thing called religion. It's kind of like that cinnamon glade that we spray everywhere. And when people far from God walk into the church and take a good smell, they go, something in here stinks. And what stinks is we've taught people to value religion over relationship. But Jesus did not die on the cross so we could follow a bunch of rules. He died on the cross so we could have a relationship with God the Father through him. And that's what we're going to talk about today because at the end of the day, we're not trying to cover this up. We're trying to get it out. 
Now, I hope, okay, okay, I hope everybody's okay with that. I hope, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not, it's probably because you're raised in a church culture. This message, this message, I've never preached on this text because it's so confusing. In fact, I'm going to read you a couple verses that are in the Bible, and some of you are going to go back and, and open your Bibles when you get home because you're not going to believe these verses are in the Bible. But I just want to show you the damage, the damage that religion can do. And I want to show you the hope that relationship can bring. Let me, let, um, let, me, let me define religion before we move on. Let me just define religion so we all have the same working definition because everybody has a different definition. And this is not a definition that you can Google or find. I came up with this. I wrote this out myself. So this is religion. Religion is a system of rules and regulations created by a group of men. Pause. It's always men. It's always men. Be, let, me, let me say this. I'm going to say this very clearly. I'm going to say it twice so everybody can hear it. Be very, very skeptical of any church that will not allow a woman to hold a leadership position, period. Let me say it again. Be very, very skeptical of any church that will not allow a woman to hold a leadership position. Well, the Bible says, you know what the Bible says? The Bible tells us if it wasn't for the women, we wouldn't have even known the tomb was empty because they had guts to go to the tomb while the men were freaking out, peeing their pants in, the, in some room. They had to go tell the men. So another sermon, another time. Okay, here we go. Created by a group of men for the purpose of control and manipulation. Now, they call it discipleship. Is, y'all feel that? Yeah. I can't wait for this one to get online. <laughs> Through the means of guilt and shame. Let me say it again. Religion is a system of rules and regulations created by a group of men for the purpose of control and manipulation through the means of guilt and shame. That's loaded, isn't it? This is, it took me all week to come up with that, all right? Now, here's, 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 what, here's where we are in the story. And, and this is the reason I'm so passionate about this. Because the story started out, John chapter 11, verse 1, Lazarus was sick, Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus, the one you love is sick, and Jesus goes, the sickness will not end in death, and then he sits back down, Remember? And a few days later, he tells his disciples, let's go to Judea. They didn't want to go to Judea because the last time they were there, there was like a rock throwing contest and the rocks were being thrown at them. We talked about how the next step isn't always the easy step, but it's always the right step. And so they wind up going to Judea and they got there. And does anybody remember how long Lazarus had been in the tomb? Four days, four days late. They didn't, four days late after the funeral and Mary and Martha are upset with Jesus. In fact, they both told him the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he said, take me to the place where you buried him. In other words, take me to the place where you lost your faith. We talked about wrestling and make the tag that week. And the last week we talked about how Jesus wept, how Jesus was so, and the reason he wept is because he felt compassion. And that when we hurt, that Jesus hurts because he feels what we're going through. And then at the end, if you remember last week, Jesus stood in front of the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and he came out. And everybody freaked out because they'd never seen anything like this before. And the very next verse, the very, very next verse says this. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. And I'm like, well, duh. 
right? If we're there, we're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is okay. Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. Sign me up. Sign me up. I, I'm, I believe if I see Jesus pull this off, I'm in. How many are with me? You're in if you see Jesus pull this off. Yeah, most of us. Most of us. Some of us are still skeptical. I don't know. I saw my cousin do it one time. It's kind of weird. This would be the perfect ending to the story. Now, I'm big on like great endings for movies or great endings for like television shows. Like uh, one of my favorite TV series of all time is Friday Night Lights. Um, I, I, I wanted to name my dog Tim Riggins and uh, Karis said no. So, uh, but Friday Night Lights, the ending, how many Friday Night Lights people in here? The ending of it was, oh, oh my God, you, you people aren't living. You, you gotta watch that. You will, anyway, um, 24. Anybody watch 24? 24? Lost? Lost was the worst ending of any series of all time. It was, it was horrible. Thank, I thought you were saying it was good. I was like, oh my God, we're gonna do church discipline. Um, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, like movies, like, I, I, like uh, great endings to me. I, now, I didn't see the notebook. I didn't see the notebook, but I read the summary on Wikipedia and cried. So it had to be like a great ending. I'm a Star Wars fan, so Return of the Episode 6, okay? Great ending. Titanic, worst ending ever. No, it was horrible. The old woman threw the diamond in the sea. She could have financed her grandkids through college. What an idiot. Anyway, I don't like that movie in general. But I'm just saying, this right here, this right here, Jesus shows up. Everybody's lost hope. Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. People believe in Jesus end of story, perfect Bible story to tell our children. But then the problem begins because not everybody was into this whole Jesus movement. Watch what happens. But some went to the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees were religious. They controlled everybody. They were in control. So instead of celebrating, these people went to tell the Pharisees, and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priest and Pharisees called the high council together. So we're going to have to have a meeting about the miracle. Now watch what happens. This gets crazy. This is, and this is in the Bible. You can't make this up. What are we going to do? Okay, time out. Time out, guys. What do you mean, what are you going to do? There's a dead guy that just came to life. We, we saw it, okay? And their question is not... How can we celebrate this? Their question is, what are we going to do? You know why? Because religion is all about control. And they sensed we're losing control. This Jesus guy just brought back somebody from the dead. And that's not the way we do things around here. If somebody dies, just leave them dead. What are we going to do, they ask each other. Watch this. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Thank you, Captain Obvious. The most, un I mean, that is, really? He brought, a guy, he brought back a guy from the dead. Yeah, 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 he does some stuff. We, we, we've seen his stuff. It's good. It's good. He does some miraculous signs. If we, watch this, watch this. If we allow him to go on like this, why? Because we're in control. We're in control. Can you, can you just see the arrogance in this meeting? If we allow him to go on like this, 
soon everyone will believe in him, which is a major problem. The whole salvation of the world thing, that's a problem. Salvation by grace, that's a problem. We can't have that. And here's the real problem. Then the Roman army, because religion, religion always invents things that'll happen that really won't happen. You say that word, you go to hell. Any of your grandparents ever tell you that? You say that word, you go to hell. And then as you walk off, you mumble it under your breath just to get back at them, but you don't say it out loud. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. In other words, if we let Jesus keep doing what Jesus does, we lose control and we can't have that. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Religion always values rules over relationship. Always. I had a guy tell me one time, I asked him because people ask me all the time how to raise kids. I'm like, I don't know. I have a 12-year-old. She's great. I can get them to 12, and I don't even really know how I did that. I just woke up, and she was 12 one day. But I had a parent tell me one time, that he said, the best parenting advice I can give you, he said, always value the relationship over being right. He said, because you can be right for 18 years in your kid's life. And when they're 18, they'll leave home, and they'll never come back. It's the same thing in church. I think we valued Rules over relationship. I saw this firsthand. I was a youth pastor in a church, and this is what they told me. This was my job, like, statement or description or whatever. They said, we want you to reach any type of kid. We, want, we don't want just the clean kids. We want the messy kids, too. We want all kinds of we, – we want, we want our church to be open to everybody. And I learned the hard way. That it's one thing to say it, but when you start doing it, it gets crazy. So I just did an event. I just like put an event together, and I just said, hey, bring your, um, I told all of our kids, we had like 15, I said, bring your crazy friends, and, and we're going to do an event, and I'm going to present the gospel. And so like 45 kids showed up, and this one kid named John got saved. Now, when I say John was a hellion, I, like he was a hellion. He was. I mean, he was, he was crazy. He, and it's kind of like if you name a sin, you could check it off John's list, right? And when he got saved, when he accepted Christ, he did a 180. Pause. Not a 360. Please stop saying when you met Jesus, you did a 360. Because I'm not even that smart mathematically. And it just means you did a complete circle and you kept on going the way you're going. It doesn't make sense. Knock it off. Okay, back. So John did a 180. And he's following Christ. And two or three weeks in, he's still, he's still rough around the edges, but he's following Jesus. And those are the best type of people to be around. So I asked him, because the pastor asked me, he said, do you have anybody who wants to give their, maybe their testimony at tonight was a Sunday night. We had a Sunday night service that was separate from Sunday morning. I was like, yeah. I was like, I, so I walked up to John. I said, John, do you want to give your testimony? He was like, what's that? I was like, like where you tell your story about what Jesus did. He went, hell yeah. I went, okay, okay, just, it's <laughs> awesome. Don't say that, but, but talk about, he was like, okay, okay. So, so kind of coast him through, maybe some phrases not to say. And he gets up on stage and he gave his testimony for three to four minutes. And y'all, I'm just telling you, he crushed it. I'm sitting where you're sitting. I'm, I'm, I'm weeping because I've seen the change in this young man's life. He walked off stage and the pastor got up to preach. 
after the service, there was a group of people that asked to meet with me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This is where they're going to tell me what a good job I did. I reached the messy kids. That was amazing. And they pulled me aside and they said, how dare you let that young man get on stage wearing a hat? I laughed. They didn't. I said, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says you don't wear hats in church. Now, I have, I have gone through the scriptures. It does not say that. They take that from a text in, Corinth, I think it's 1 Corinthians, and it actually has to deal with temple prostitution. I don't think that's going on here. If it is, I don't know about it. I mean, <laughs> that's even whack for second chance. So I'm just saying no temple prostitutes here. Some of you are like, really? Did we, ha did we have those? I don't know. You can't. Anyway, stop it. I was like, what? I, are, you, are you serious about the hat thing? They're like, yeah, we've already talked to him. He never came back. But the next week, I got to preach. It was funny. It kind of worked its way into the illustration. And I literally said from the stage, if you had spent more time listening to his heart than looking at his hat, maybe, maybe this church would have been blessed because of it. Now, hold on, hold on. No. People left the church. It literally, they went to the pastor. They, they said either Perry leaves or, or we leave. He said, bye, Felicia. Oh, he didn't say that. That wasn't a thing then. <laughs> no, I just, Three, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but that's what religion does. You, you, like it tells women, you can't, wear, you can't wear pants. It tells guys, you can't wear shorts. It tells us what we can and we can't do. And it makes up these rules, these X rules. Like, remember when you're growing up, like, like the word damn? Okay, not only could you not say that, but you couldn't say darn because it was close. Remember that? Darn. Well, you meant, no, if I'd have meant the other word, I'd have said the other word. I, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm 40, people are like, you can't say that. I'm 48 years old. I'll say whatever I want. Right? But religion does a real good job. Religion does a real good job. And don't miss this because we're all guilty of this in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Religion does a real good job of saying those people. Those people. Now, before you get too excited, we've, we've all got the category of those people. Those Republicans. Those Democrats. Those people that are alcoholics. Those people that abuse drugs. Those people that smoke. Those people that drink. Those people that are gay. Those people. Those people. Those people. That's a phrase that I'm trying to work out of the language here at Second Chance. In fact, in fact, and here's why, here's why, here's why. We don't say those people, or we say, we don't say those people, we say those people are our people because we are all one of those people who are broken and need the grace of God. Every single person in this room, there's not one exception and if you got a group of those people, you need to check your heart. You need to check your heart. Now, it keeps going. Watch this. Watch this. 
Caiaphas, which by the way, nobody ever names their kid that anymore, which is awesome. Caiaphas, and by the way, the only reason we know who he is is because he's mentioned in the story of Jesus. He was one of the most important figures in the world, and nobody ever names their kid that anymore. The only reason we know his name is because he's in the story of Jesus. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. Pause. Religion always has an arrogance to it. Religion always seeks to establish the moral high ground. And so here you got a high priest talking down to everybody. And notice the exclamation point. So he yells it. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own, which is phenomenal. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because the more religion establishes to control people, the more God shows them how out of control they really are. Don't miss this. Watch this. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that point on, <laughs> this is amazing, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Now, just stay with me for one, one second. The Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments. Okay, and I probably couldn't name all ten. I probably couldn't. If you could, pray, you know, ducky. All right, you're awesome. But I, but, but I know one of them. I know one of them is thou shalt not kill. It's somewhere between six and ten. I think it's number six, seven, eight. Someone said thou shalt not kill. But we can all agree that, I, and I think that's a great command. I, by the way, I'm just going to kind of throw that out there. But... The religious people get together and they're planning to kill Jesus. Don't miss this. Religious people will break God's commands when you break, break their commands. In other words, they'll gossip about you. And we all know gossipers, they're in the list, right? Don't do that. This is, this is all about control. Now, I think we all can agree that control is the greatest illusion in the universe. It really is. And if you don't agree with that, you haven't had a baby yet. <laughs> right? Because when, when that kid freaks out in the middle of the night, you're like, how do I shut this down? How do I, like, what do I do? I, I know parents that have put the kid on the dryer um, and cut the dryer on. I know, um, not in the dryer. That's different. They don't do that. Don't do that. But some parents are like, I would try it if it worked. They ride around in the car. They do whatever because control is one of the greatest illusions. And even, I, like, I've, got a, I've got some rules. I've got some personal convictions. I've got some rules. One of, my, one of my control issues is I don't go to the bathroom on airplanes. And I'm not talking about number one. I'm talking about the emoji. Like, I don't, I don't do that on airplanes because the, the bathrooms are tiny on airplanes. You ever been in an airplane bathroom? Like somebody like me, I'm like, <laughs> so I'm just kind of stuck in there. Now, I mean, and then I start thinking about the germs and I kind of get all wigged out. So I'm like, I'm just not doing it. But then I was in a foreign country several years ago and they gave us a farewell meal. And um, you're supposed to go eat the farewell meal because if you don't eat the farewell meal, then they get offended. So you don't want to offend these people. By the way, time out. I will offend the heck out of them from now on because of what happened to me. So... <laughs> 
you must eat. No, I don't. No, bro, I'm good. I'm, I just I love my water. Love my water. I am on a water diet. So I, I ate the farewell meal, and then I got on the plane. And as soon as the plane took off, it was like, I was like, no, God, uh-uh, no, no, Lord. Lord, God, you are in control. And he was like, you better go to the bathroom. I was like, but God, you can, you can hold it. You can hold this back. God, you held back the Red Sea. He's like, it's, it's about to be the Brown Sea. You better get to the bathroom right now. <laughs> Some of y'all, this is your first time. You're like, he is nasty. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. You'll never forget that illustration right there. Hey, what'd your preacher talk about? The holiness of God. What'd your preacher talk about? He just went to the bathroom on the airplane. <laughs> and I realized control is one of the greatest illusions in the universe because don't miss this. The religious leaders thought they needed to control the people when God actually called leaders to lead the people because people don't mind being led, but they hate being driven. And right here, they're, they're trying to control, but isn't it? funny, the more control they tried to establish, the more out of control they really were because God says, all right, you want to be that way? You want to be that religious? You want to be that jacked up? I will simply use you to bring about what I had planned from the beginning. And you'll be a part of the story, but you won't be featured in the story. And it was just a reminder to me that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens, God can take it and use it for good because he took something horrible and tragic. These men sitting together in a room plotting the death of Jesus and God goes, if that's how you're going to be, I'll use it in the story, but you won't be the hero. And it just reminded me that God can use anything. Uh, my daughter was in a play a few weeks ago and easily. I had to drop her off at like 6, and the play didn't start until 7.30. So I just drove around easily. You can do it in about five minutes. I mean, it's not, it's not that difficult. I'm just driving around, driving around. I wound up in my old neighborhood and um, where I grew up on the Mill Hill. I kind of like put a picture. If you follow me on Instagram stories, I put a picture up of my house. Um, it, and I had a little pool in front of it. didn't have that when I grew up. But um, I was driving around. And here's what's weird. And I didn't plan this. I was just driving around. And I drove up on the spot, the exact spot I could take you to the very first time that I was ever molested. And I was just there. And, and you never really get over something like that. But in that moment, God reminded me that even though that wasn't his heart for me, that he's used it for good but because it took me over 20 years to come out and talk about it. But since I have, do you know how many people have been willing to say, me too? He used that tragedy in my life to give other people the courage to speak out and say that happened to me when I was a kid too and I've never told anyone. And while I wouldn't wish that on anyone, I've seen God use something completely messed up in my own life for his glory. And if he can do it for me, 
he'll do it for you. And I say that because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how life may be holding together or falling apart. I just know that when man tries to seize control, that we serve a God who's ultimately in control and will somehow use all things for the good. If he can take a blood-stained cross and turn it into an empty tomb, it is unlimited what he can do in our lives if we can just stop and trust him. Now it gets crazier. Some of you are like, it can't get crazier. It does. It gets way crazier. As a result, <laughs> Jesus stopped his public ministry. Now, it's going to pick it back up. We'll talk about it next week. Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. They ran him out of town. You ever been ran out of town, right? It's crazy. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before the Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temples, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for the Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. They, they went to where most religious leaders go when they can't seem to get control of the situation. They went to shame. Now, we're going to talk about shame in detail week two of Game of Thrones. But this is where I'm going with this today. Religion seeks to shame Jesus seeks to set free. Religion seeks to shame. And, and all of us have experienced shaming. Everybody in the room. Like, for example, this is um, baseball season, right? And Wimbledon. I, I was watching Wimbledon the other day. That girl, is it Coco? Like, I, I, I I'm a fan. Like, she was, like, I am a, I'm a fan. She beat Venus Williams, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all need to watch more TV. Anyway. <laughs> but I can't, I don't like baseball. Now, if you like baseball, I think that's great. I think it's awesome for you. But I had a bad baseball experience. Um, I, <laughs> I sucked at baseball. I tried to play it one year. My mom and dad were like, hey, play baseball. So I went out. And I remember um, I, I, was, I was pretty good in practice. But when it came game time, I didn't know that the other team could talk to you and give you advice on whether or not you should swing. Hey, bada, 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 swing. And I'm like, why, why are we? And the catcher said something about my mother. I wasn't quite sure where he was going with this. I was like, I got a bat in my hand, bro. You talk about my mom. And anyway, it got so distracting. And then I remember the first pitch, it was a ball. It was like, boom. And somebody, in the, somebody out here was like, good eye. I'm like, okay, I got a good eye. I need two good eyes. I can't hit the ball. So I, my batting average that year was zero. I never hit the ball. They put me in right field. Now, can you imagine in fifth grade, ADD, maxed out in right field? What was I doing 90% of the time? A bird. <laughs> and I can still remember the left-handed batters coming up going, Perry, heads up. Uh-huh. What's up? Looking at the bird. Oh, there's a plane. I, I mean, I, I never caught a pop fly ever. So I remember one time my coach pulled me aside. He said, listen, 
we need you to get on base. I was like, okay, what do I do? He said, go and stand as close to the plate as you can get and hunch up. He's trying to get me hit with a freaking ball. So I struck out and as I'm walking by him, he said, you are literally the worst baseball player I've ever seen in my life. I was done. Because it, it wasn't like he pulled me aside. It's like he said it in front of the whole team. And after that, the whole team kind of, oh, yeah, you know, Perry, yeah, you're the, and it was, it was shameful. All of us have experienced that, right? All of us have experienced that. That's what they're trying to do to Jesus. Religion, if they can't control you, they will shame you and try to just push you out and run you away. And there are people here today, and there's some people, and listen, I see it every week. I interact with our online community every week that, that watch from home. But you're scared to death to actually walk back into a church because of what they said about you or what they did to you. I get it. But that's not even the craziest part about the story. The craziest part about the story, so we're going to skip ahead a few verses. We'll cover them next week. But the religious leaders began to lose so much control. Watch this. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, because he comes back in town. We'll talk about that next week. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him. And also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them, therefore they're losing control, and believed in Jesus. Now, how scared do you think Lazarus was of a death threat? Lazarus, they're going to kill you. Bring it. We'll do an encore, baby. I got somebody that can just speak life into me. So as they're speaking death, because don't miss this. Oh, I just thought of this. Religion always speaks death over people and tells you what you can't do. But relationship speaks life because Paul wrote in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So bring your threats and bring your intimidation and bring whatever you got. At the end of the day, if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. And no matter what somebody speaks over you and tells you that you can't do, you actually can do it in Christ. Lazarus, they're going to get, how stupid do you have to be to kill a guy that's already been dead? It doesn't make sense. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. And this is powerful. Religion always seeks to kill the miracle. Because a miracle is something that a religion can't control. Religion always seeks to kill the miracle. Now, let me get very personal with you for just a second. I didn't want to start this church. No desire. None. God won't leave you alone sometimes. 
And, and so in July of 2017, I filled out the paperwork just, just to be legal to start the church. I didn't make an announcement. I didn't say anything. But somebody found it, reported it, and my phone started blowing up because all these people are saying this online. Is da, 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 da. And a few days later, a few days later, um, this article appeared in Christianity Today. Too soon for Perry Noble's second chance at church. It's a great article written by that chick who I've never met in my life and had all kinds of opinions about me. And uh, th this is what I love when people tell me, don't take stuff like that personally. Yeah, they didn't write it about you. They didn't write it about you. And stuff like this, this is just a small fraction, stuff like this was written to discourage me from doing what God had called me to do. And as I was reading this article, I, I believe the enemy meant it for harm, but God used it to pull me off the sidelines and do what he's ultimately called me to do. And since we started Second Chance, we've seen 588 people give their lives to Christ. And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be some kind of hero. I told somebody told me the other day, you know, Second Chance will never be, it'll probably never be as big as such and such and so and so. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I'm having fun right now. Every Sunday, I look forward to coming to church right now. I love my church right now. I love it. And I want to grow and reach people. And that's awesome. I don't care what size we get. I just want to reach people for Jesus. I want to see that number right there increase. I want to see more and more people accept Christ. But the, the, the thing I want to encourage you with is some of you have been told what you can't do by religion. But always remember, when religion says no, Jesus says let's go. We don't, listen, we don't have time to sit around and regret the past. The past is the past, but the future has hope and God has a plan. And so instead of letting people point out what you did, let Jesus point out who you are and what you are able to accomplish in him. Don't let somebody talk you out of what God has called you into because at the end of the day, they don't define you. Jesus defines you. And he says, you are completely forgiven. You are unconditionally loved. You are radically accepted. That's who we are in Christ. Religion does not find us. A relationship with Jesus is ultimately what defines us. So maybe you're here and you've been wounded by religion. So have I. But shame on us if we allow their wounds to make us feel worthless. Jesus paid too high a price for us to sit around and lick our wounds. We've got a job to do. We've got a calling on our lives. 
We've got an abundant life to live, and it comes through that relationship with Jesus. With that in mind, can we stand for closing prayer? Jesus, we sang this earlier, but I'll say it again. There's no one like you. Jesus, I thank you that you are greater than anything or anyone that comes against us, including the spirit of religion. Father, I pray for those here today that have been hurt, demoralized, talked down to, forgotten, cast aside. Jesus, I pray right now that you would let them know that you have never forsaken them and you have never abandoned them and you have always been there. And just because somebody else did it doesn't mean that you did it. Jesus, I pray that you would speak hope and life into us. With heads bowed and eyes closed here today, if you, if you feel like this message was just, you've been wounded by religion. You've been hurt and you don't know how to get past that to step into help and hope. Then right now, in our auditorium, I just want to step out of your aisle. And as we offer every week, walk out the back doors. We have people in our care team that would love to pray with you and pray for you. Maybe you've had a hard time believing that you can do what God's called you to. Maybe you've had a hard time. Maybe you allowed somebody to label you and you can't get past that label. We want to walk with you through that process. People are moving. If you're at Life Spring in Tennessee, you just walk up the stairs. Somebody will direct you to where you need to go. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ because you feel like you're not good enough. Newsflash, none of us are. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus today wants to come into your life and make you brand new. And if you're here today and that's your prayer, you want to accept Jesus into your life, then right where you stand right now, right where you stand, right in your heart, I just want you to pray and just say, Jesus Christ, come into my life and take over. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave, and I believe you saved me from my sins. Thank you, Jesus for saving me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you put up your hand just in the air, just as a public proclamation that you just prayed to receive Christ? If you're online, you do the hand raise and put it up high and you can put it right back down because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. If you're at Life Spring, you just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for these hands. I pray that in this room, in this place, God, that we would be a place of life and hope and joy and peace because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. That We would value relationships over religion every time. And everyone that agreed said, amen. Hey, listen, listen. I hope you enjoyed today, and I hope you come back next week for the final message in Dead Man Walking. I love you guys. God bless. Have a great week.